welcome to church, everybody. It's so good to see you all here. As the offering bags go around, I'll just introduce myself. Uh, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at LBC. And yeah, it's so good that you actually made it out of bed this morning and came to be with us in church. I know in the morning sometimes you wake up and you just go, I don't want to. But you did. So pat yourselves on the back for that. Awesome job getting here. And for those of you who are listening online to me say this, where were you? No, I'm joking. They're probably at the dads and lads camp. Or, this was awesome this morning, um, or they're serving at the back looking after um, the kids, which is amazing. Like, we really should be really appreciative that they're out there looking after them so that you guys can be in here. Cool. So at the moment, we're currently in week three of our four-part series on conflict. Why are we looking at conflict? Well, the reason's quite simple. All of us have conflict. All of us, to a certain degree, are terrible at conflict. And to a certain degree, we're good at conflict. Like, we have our good days, we have our bad days, right? Is anyone here smashing 100% at the moment? No, none of us are. Um, So we want to have a look at conflict and how we can sort of deal with it better. So in the first week, we looked at what conflict is. It's when there is an unmet need between you and another person and it escalates, and instead of doing the mature thing of going to them and saying, I feel, or the way you treated me was, instead of doing that, we avoid them, or gossip about them, or uh, just try and push it under the carpet, and that's what conflict, you know, escalates conflict, and we also looked at why we have that conflict, and the truth is that within each of us, there's a battle, We want things in our life, and we don't always get things. So we lie, cheat, and steal to either get what we want or get the closest thing. And that drives us to push our agenda instead of caring for other people the way we were actually designed to, furthering conflict. So that was week one, a little bit of just, you know, what conflict is. Last week, we looked at the negative outcomes of conflict. Remember, we talked about a bridge, and sometimes when we try to build a bridge between us and the other person when it comes to conflict, um, we don't always do it very well. We get people involved, like too many people involved. Sometimes we sabotage ourselves. We do things that are inappropriate. And uh, sometimes we access a part of us that we didn't know we had until we're really pushed. Until we're really pushed. And then this week, we're going to have a look at one tool uh, to help us with conflict. And I'm going to call it the Matthew 18 tool. Uh, And then next week, we're going to look at some other ways to handle conflict. But today, we're going to have a look at Matthew 18. So if you've got your Bible, you can head there. Now, now this isn't a thing, Matthew, the Matthew 18 tool. I'm just calling it that. You see, it's up there, there, uh, so that you remember where it is in the Bible. All right, it's just a little bit of a, a memory thing. So, the Matthew 18 tool. So, uh, if you've got your Bible, head into Matthew 18, and I'm going to set up uh, what we're going to look at by looking at who Matthew was. Many years ago, there was a bloke called Matthew. There were probably many Matthews, but this one Matthew in particular was a bad dude. He was a tax collector. Now, for you and me, when we hear a tax collector, we probably just think of um, the ATO, or we probably just think of someone who's doing their job. Back then, when Jesus was walking around, tax collectors were really bad. So to paint the picture of who a tax collector was, we're going to run through an imaginary scenario. So imagine, here we are, living in Australia, having a great time, and a foreign power comes and invades us, and they conquer us, and as a result of that, we have to pay taxes and we have to work for them, right? Right? Not a great situation. Not only have you been invaded, not only is our you know, combined uh, want of freedom, is that taken away, to collect the money, they hire some of us to do it. Your neighbour, someone you know. So this person puts up their hand or is selected 
And they are now coming up, knocking at your door and saying, hey, you need to pay taxes to this foreign power. And you're looking at this person going, you traitor. You scum of the earth. Not only are we in this depressing situation, but you are coming, you are collecting taxes from them. And on top of that, these people are coming in and they're taking a little bit more so that they can look after themselves. So you're paying for what the foreign power wants, but also they're taking some so that they can line their pockets. This is who Matthew was. He was someone who was hated. In fact, in the Bible, when they talk about tax collectors, it's a great thing. They say tax collector and sinner. Because sinner is the person who, you know, is anyone who is living a life which doesn't line up with what God desires. But a tax collector, they're their own separate bracket. That's how bad these people are. So Matthew is a tax collector. And he's someone who handles money, and he handles money for the opposition. But he's meant to be on your team. Does it make sense? Not a great guy. Not someone you really want to be friends with. So Matthew is going along, living his life, and he has an interaction with Jesus. So Jesus has been going around, and he's starting to do his ministry. He's starting to go out and proclaim the good news that, hey, if you believe in me, and you put your old life behind you, there is a new life that you can have with God. I can reconcile you to God. There's something new coming. There's a new kingdom happening. And Matthew hears this message and decides to follow Jesus, which is amazing. So if you're someone who is already at this point, say you were a Jew following Jesus, and you're thinking to yourself, man, I like what Jesus is on about. He's really, he's on to some good stuff here. And then a tax collector starts to join him. There's a little bit of tension there. No one really wants to be around Jesus much because look who Jesus is hanging out with. And that's where we find Matthew. So Matthew records some of the life of Jesus and some of his teachings, and he records his great teaching in Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17. This is what it says. It says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen... Take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Which is a little rich because he was a tax collector. Anyway. Um, so here we have Matthew 8, 18, 15 to 17. So we're going to go through verse by verse, and we're just going to explain some of the context around this. So it begins in verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. So let's just define sin real quick. I've said this before, and I think I'll probably say it throughout my years of ministry. A sin is when there is a separation between you and God, you and others, or you and yourself. It is an action that happens that you take It is an action that you take that causes separation. So the reason sin was so devastating in the Garden of Eden, so the beginning of the Bible, we have this great story. God creates an earth where he has relationship with humanity, which is pure and awesome. And then sin enters the world. And what sin does is it comes in and it twists what God made for good. And it causes a separation between humanity and God, humanity and one another. Remember, there's Adam and Eve and they're fighting. They're not having a great time. And between uh, humanity and ourself. That's what sin does. So Matthew is recording a teaching of Jesus. Jesus is saying is that if someone that you know and love, brother or sister, he's saying within this context of the church, he's saying if your brother or sister causes separation between themselves and God, themselves and others, or amongst themselves, then you need to go and point out the fault between you and them. Just go up to them one-on-one. 
and go and say, hey, I've noticed, or hey, I feel like this is where this is heading. This is not good. Just go and just you and them. Most of us, when we notice someone do something wrong, when we notice someone causing conflict, we go to everybody else. Because it's really hard to go face to face and say, hey, this is how I feel you're doing something wrong. This is how I feel something is not right. Incredibly difficult to do, but that's what Jesus says is best. Then it says, if, you, if they listen to you, you have won them over. You go up to them and say, hey, this is how I feel. This isn't right. Something's going on here. If they go, yes, I see what you're saying, and they go, I'm going to change my behavior, you've won them over. Best outcome. Right there, then and there. Imagine how many disagreements in our lives would be stopped if you were just man or woman enough to go up to the other person and say, I feel like the way we're interacting is not great, and I love you enough to point it out. And they turn around and say, you're right. I also feel that this is not right, and I think we should make a change here with this relationship so it doesn't go any further. How much pain would you and I be spared if that happened? And I reckon if Jesus thought that we could do that, he'd probably only give that instruction. I reckon if Jesus was talking and he knew our capacity as as humans and he knew that we could sort it out like that, I reckon Jesus would have just given that and not gone on. But he goes on. But if they will not listen, which I would say is 90%, I don't know, 90% of the time, I don't know. It's a lot, right? Someone comes up to us, they come up to us and point something out within us and most of the time, what's our response? No, we deflect, we go, that, no, that's not how I see it, that's not what I think, and you either deflect and go, get away from me, you person, or you attack, I'm that bad, but you are, I know I've got that going in my life, but have you seen how you spend your money, I know that's going on with me, but how do you spend your time, I know that's going on with me, but how do you spend your attention, and rather than listen to it, and rather than engage with it on a okay, let's talk it out, you just end up either deflecting and saying, nah, or you go on the attack and you go after the other person. So if they don't listen, you take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And I think this is incredibly smart what Jesus is doing here. He's saying that if there is a conflict between you and another person and you've gone up to them one-on-one and you've said, this is what I think, this is what I feel, there needs to be some resolution here, and they say, nope then you need to go and get one or two others to come and establish testimony about what's happening within the situation. This is not, I'm going to go and get my two best friends so that we can come and attack you. That's not what this is. This is, I want the best out of the situation and we're not getting anywhere. I'm going to go and get one or two other people who can come in and they can either hold us accountable if we make a decision or they can help play referee a little bit. They can help push the dialogue further. They can help take it to another level so that we can actually move forward. But if they refuse to listen still, tell it to the church. That's an interesting one. Uh, when, when Jesus is talking and when Matthew is recording this, when they were talking about church, I think they may have been talking, I'm going to be careful how I say this, they're probably talking a little bit different to how we may see church these days. So bring it to the church is not, hey, you guys have conflict. If you guys can just come up here, we're going to give you a microphone each. You've got five minutes on the shot clock. Take it out, and then we're going to judge how we feel you go. That's not bringing it to the church. When Jesus said, take it to the church, or tell it, tell it to the church, sorry, what he's saying there is that the church is a, is a body, right? The church is a body with different gifts, different 
everyone contributing differently. When he says, tell it to the church, he's saying, you need to let the church leadership, you need to allow the church in appropriate ways, depending on what's going on, you need to let them know so that they can start to pray for and care for you better. Because the problem when it comes to conflict, we're looking for a win or lose scenario. When we're having conflict with another person, one-on-one, or with a group of people, we're looking for a win or lose scenario. We want to win and we want them to lose. When Jesus here is saying, if it doesn't work out between the both of you, bring one or two others in. He's not saying that so that you can get a win or lose. He's trying to bring in people who can love and care for you both better. Then when he says, if that doesn't work, bring it and tell it to the church. He's trying to get more support for you. And he's trying to say that we need to deal with it in a mature way. So that doesn't mean everybody knows what's happening about everything. That's very immature. Imagine every week if we had a shame list of like different conflicts happening within our community. You got a lovely email and said, did you know that this family are fighting with this family this week? Please hold them in your prayers. That would be terrible, terrible way of doing it. But when Jesus is saying here, you need to tell it to the church. You need to go, it hasn't worked one-on-one. Bringing in one or two others hasn't worked. You need to kick it up another level. You need to let the church leadership know. And in our case, we have a board. We have pastors, and we have people in our congregation who have a really pastoral loving heart. We have pastoral, uh, pastoral elders who help with this sort of thing. So just for our setup as a community, we have support that if there is conflict, we love you enough that we would love to help you with that. Then, the next thing, if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them, you, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. It's pretty rude, isn't it? Now, many of you know where I'm going with this. If you've been in church a while, uh, you, you know where I'm going with this. But if this is your first time hearing this, when he's saying treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector, the person that we take our lead from as Christians is Jesus. How we treat other people, the lead we take is from Jesus. So when Jesus says to you, if this doesn't work out, you need to treat them like a pagan or a tax collector, we as individuals need to go, okay, how did Jesus treat pagans and tax collectors? Matthew was one of them. What did he do? Jesus asked them to follow him. He loved them. He cared for them. He told them the truth and he let whatever happened and where the chips lay, he let that go. Like Jesus would just tell them in love, this is what I think. And some responded and some didn't. And for us as individuals and for us as a community and a church, we need to love other people enough that whether they're in community with us closely or not, that we love them and want the best for them regardless. We want to pray for them, we want to support them, and we want to support you, whatever you go through. So here it is, the Matthew 18 tool, looking at this. So the first thing, all right, so everyone's got the the passage under, under the belts a little bit. Let's just go through quickly these five points here and where we draw it from, and then I'll get to some story stuff at the end. This is very information, we'll get to the heart in a second. So when it comes to dealing with conflict with another person, Uh, we take uh, step number one from somewhere earlier in Matthew's teaching. I call it check yourself. So earlier on, Matthew records the teaching of Jesus, uh, where Jesus basically says, before you go and judge someone else, uh, you probably need to check, check yourself first. So the way that he put it, before you go and remove the speck from someone else's eye, like the tiny little problem in their life, you should probably check the big problem in your life first. And if we did this before we entered any conflict, you know what this would do? This would allow us to own our part of the conflict. Because too many times we enter conflict or we enter disagreement with a mentality of, I'm 
40% owning this, but they're 60%, theirs is worse, I'm going to blame them. And you just go on the attack. Or you go in and you say, I don't care what they say because they're worse than me. And you can really get this, uh, I don't know, you can get this really arrogant sense to yourself. But if you check yourself first and you go, okay, there is a problem happening here and I'm going to make sure I know what is mine of this problem, that means you're actually entering the conflict resolution with a sense of, I know that's an issue, but I know that I own part of the issue. That'll make you actually handle the other person with much more love and much more respect. Because if you blame, blame, blame them, 100% them, 0% uh, 0 yourself, first of all, you're fooling yourself. We all own part of conflict. It's not necessarily always our fault, but we always own part of it. But if you're always looking for them and making them as the enemy, then there's no way forward in love. Because any steps you take forward are going to be painted with the idea that you have done a favor for them because they were more wrong than you. And Jesus doesn't want that. So first thing we need to do is we need to check ourselves. What do we own of the problem? Then we step into Matthew 18. Step number two, we need to approach the other person. And I would say that this is actually the hardest part of resolving conflict, is approaching the other person one-on-one. -on -one. If you're good at this, that's awesome. That's a blessing. If you're, if you're able to go up to someone else and you're able just to go one-on-one -on -one and say, hey, just to let you know, I feel there's something between us. Can we talk about it? If you can do that, that's, that's awesome. If it's a natural thing, you've been beyond blessed. If that's something you've worked on, I think it's something we can all work on. And if you have, then you're just living proof that we can do it. We can get better at approaching one-on-one. -on -one. It means that we need to stop going and talking to other people about a conflict problem before we go and talk with the person themselves. And there's many reasons, of course, we find this difficult. Um, we can fear the other person. Maybe they're bigger and stronger than you. Is that fair? Sometimes we just fear them. Sometimes we have a fear of confrontation within us. We know that if we go and we raise a point with them, that there's going to be a fight or there's going to be some real deep stuff that goes on. There's going to be words that are said and that can't be unsaid. Or you just have this fear that going to them one-on-one -on -one will create more conflict. That's fair. And it's understandable. For some of you, it's um, probably fear of your responsibility in the conflict. If you go up and tell them that there is a problem between you, uh, the reality is, is that you're going to have to own part of that. And that can be quite scary for you to own your part of a conflict. Or maybe, and this is probably more for me than anyone, uh, I have a fear sometimes that if I go and talk to them and they acknowledge that we need to sort it out and we fix it, I miss the ego stroke of having resolved a conflict with somebody. Because I love it when you get to have a conversation with someone else and people go, wow, that was really good, Josh, well done. But that's more about me. Maybe some of you are like that. For some of us, we just have that fear that, hey, if I do the right thing and it works, I won't get the acknowledgement for that. And for some of us, we're just afraid of talking to other people. And there's something insecure within us that when we go and we talk to someone else, we have to reveal a bit of who we are and we're not always comfortable with who we are. So we need to approach the other person, easily the hardest part. The easier one, take one or two other people. And again, this is not, so step three. Remember, first of all, if you're having a problem with someone else or there's something you notice in their life, check yourself to make sure that you have an understanding of your part of the problem or your view of it. You need to go to them one-on-one. -on -one. And the third thing Jesus says to do is take one or two other people with you. And again, this is not go and find your friends so that you can bully them into submitting to your point of view. That's not what this is. 
This is going and saying, hey, we're not working this out. Can we bring in one or two other people to help us mediate or negotiate this conflict that's going on between us? And hopefully you choose some really wise people who are able to come in, who are able to listen. We'll talk about this next week. Um, Who are able to come in, who are able to listen to the conflict and then are able to just lovingly and carefully provide some good, solid biblical um, advice, loving advice, Christ-centered advice as to how you should proceed. And some of you are really gifted at mediating conflict. Some of you are really good at being able to go into a situation and lovingly look both people in the eye and say, I hear what both of you are saying. Here's a possible way that we can take this forward. So take one or two other people with you. If that doesn't work, take it to the church. Um, If it's starting to affect not only both of you, but it's starting to affect the community of people, uh, you need some more help in dealing with this conflict. Then Jesus says you need to take it to the church. You need to go and say, hey, this is what's going on between us. This isn't quite working. And then you're basically putting your hand up and saying, we need more help in dealing with this conflict. And hopefully, prayerfully, the church is positioned to be able to hear what you're saying and go, wow, we love you enough that we want you guys to resolve this and we're going to come alongside you. Now, here is probably the biggest point of pain when it comes to Christianity and conflict because many of us have been part of church communities where we have brought conflict and said, we need help dealing with this. This is out of our range. We don't know what to do with this. And the church has either snubbed you They've either got involved and controlled or they've got involved and they've just come in way too hard and it's hurt you, it's hurt them and instead of the people who you're meant to trust in leading, um, in leading one another, instead of them coming in and saying, how can we lovingly reconcile you two, they side with one of the people. Maybe it's because they need one family for more offering. Maybe it's they need one family because they've got band members. Maybe they need one of the sides because they're easier to get along with. All those are wrong. As a church leadership, they should be coming alongside, hearing both of you out and saying, how can we reconcile you guys? First of all, you to God, because that's the most important one. If it's impacting your relationship to Jesus, that's, that's where the focus needs to be. And then how can we reconcile you to the other and you to the community? And that plays out in many different ways. But for us, that's a really big pain point because we have gone and we have put our hand up for help and it actually ended up hurting us rather than helping us. But Jesus nevertheless says here, take it to the church. Sometimes when I read the words of Jesus, uh, I'm not always sure whether I agree with what he says. And this is one of the ones I struggle with, but it's what he says. So um, I'm going to listen and, and find out when I get to heaven why it was, how it should have worked. And then number five is uh, treat them like a sinner. There's this great um, article online where someone says, how does Jesus te- uh, treat sinners? He loves them, accepts them, invites them, eats with them, and then keeps on challenging them to become more like him. How awesome is that? In my life, if Jesus didn't come alongside me and love me and accept me and bring me into a closer proximity to him, then I would have just been left to the side. So with me and how my story has unfolded, I look and say, I want to show other people Jesus. So how can we love, accept and bring people to see more of who he is. Not make a point, as we can so often do when we have a problem. So that's within a church concept, uh, context. If you're, if you're here and you're part of our community regularly, and you're, yep, I'm a Christian, sold out, uh, this is how we handle and should handle conflict. So when you signed on to say, I follow Jesus, uh, you, you basically said, I, I'm going to listen to his words, I'm going to try and follow him the best I can. He said this, 
We need to deal with this. However, if you're someone who hasn't quite signed on yet, um, and you look at that and go, it's good, I like some of it, not all of it, Um, I've got a practical few questions you can ask yourself to uh, take away. Because one of the coolest things about following Jesus, right, is one, there's the life transformation for me. But even if you don't believe who Jesus said he was, if you don't believe that Jesus didn't die and rise again, the, the wisdom you gain from the Bible is absolutely incredible. You catch secondhand wisdom just by reading his word. So if you don't fully believe Jesus is Lord, you should still read what Jesus says. Because out of this is actually some great conflict resolution stuff. So as a church, we have to do that. All right? If you're, if you're, if you're a Christian, you're following Jesus, uh, that's non-negotiable. Jesus said that. That's how we do it, uh, which is cool. But if you're not a Christian, uh, here's four questions you can ask yourself. So um, on the next slide, sorry, with the four questions. Um, from this passage, there's four things uh, that we can ask ourselves. Firstly, what do I own here? If you're having a conflict with someone else, what do I own? Because if you don't start with yourself, the conflict is doomed to fail. Second thing, uh, sorry, the conflict resolution is doomed to fail. We want the conflict to fail, conflict resolution. So what do I own here? Secondly, how can I vocalize my issue? How can I actually say to the other person or to wherever you need to get help from, how can I vocalize my issue? Because if you are internalizing a conflict, only you know about it. Others might see it, but only you are the one who know about it. So you need to be able to vocalize it and talk about it. One of the great things about what Jesus teaches is he says, if you are a Christian and you have conflict, you have to go to the other person. You have to vocalize it. You have to get out of your shell and go and ask and say, hey, can we have the conversation? So you need to ask yourself, how can I vocalize my issue? And thirdly, you should ask, who can, I, who can play referee? Who are the trusted people in your life that can come into this situation and help you kick the conflict uh, resolution further down the field? And then finally, what steps do we need to take? And if you've put a couple of great people around you or some people who are able to help you with the conflict, when you put those steps into action, you'll have accountability, which is awesome, because how many times do we say, yeah, we should resolve this, we should take this step, and it doesn't happen. It happens quite a lot. But if you've brought people into it in a healthy way and they've spoken into the situation, uh, then when you write those steps down, uh, then you have accountability and it encourages you to keep, to keep going. So that is the Matthew 18 tool. And can you chuck the slide up with the, the five on it? Thank you very much. Um, so that's, that's the Matthew 18 tool. So last week, um, if you remember... I said to you, we were talking about negative outcomes, I said this is a really down week because we talk about how much conflict sucks. And this week is the up week. The up part has been, look at this, we have a way to deal with conflict. And Jesus taught this. We should be excited about that, by the way. That's good news. Because you and I don't have to make it up as we go along. We have something that Jesus has given us. That's really good. Good part. Um, The disclaimer for this week, which is a bad part, is that this is ridiculously hard to do. This is really, 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 really hard. And it would be stupid of me to assume because you can see the five steps up there that you're going to go, all right, I have a conflict with someone. First step this, second step this. Oh, we resolved it? Great news. Or we need to keep going. That's silly for me to assume because you've heard it and you can sort of look at it that it will be done that way. This is a lifelong process. This is what following Jesus, this is part of the transformation process. This is part of us becoming more like him. Last week I said the, this, this passage that Jesus spoke, and I'll, I'll read it again. He said, A good person brings out of the good stored up in their heart good things, and an evil person brings out 
evil things out of the evil stored up in their heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. We can have a framework. We can have the best conflict resolution tools in the world. If your heart doesn't have the right thing in it, it's not going to work. And this is, this is what I love about um, Jesus' teachings, is that he doesn't just deal with how we act, he deals with the heart. And then this great thing happens, as he deals with our heart, our actions start to follow suit. And as we start to act a certain way, our heart follows suit. And it's almost like an, an upward projectile, that as we are aware of how our heart needs to become more like Jesus, and as we are aware that our actions need to reflect him more and more, they sort of fuel each other upwards, which is really great. But it takes time, it takes patience, it takes a lot of love, not just in your personal walk with Jesus, but in a communal sense of being encouraged in your faith. It takes us making mistakes and going, wow, that didn't work. It takes us going, I'm, I'm listening and hearing what Jesus is saying, I'm putting it into action, and I'm just taking a faith step. It takes a lot for us to be able to actually live out the words that Jesus says, and it's hard. But the great thing is, is that all we need to focus on is the very first step he gives to everybody, which is that we just need to look and say, we're going to follow you. When Jesus invites us to follow him, then it's not about knowing everything. Karen said a great line before. It's not about having our theology right. It's not about having our actions right. Jesus loves us so much that he died for us even before we were born. And he offers us a gift that says, hey, if you believe in me and you follow me, then not only will we have eternal life, but you'll have relationship with God the way it's meant to be. And it won't look perfect in this life. And there's hard times ahead. And in fact, a lot of our Bibles are written, uh, a lot of the Bible's been written with the idea that here's the ideal, now let's deal with what is actually real around us. And that's why I love the fact that Jesus gives us those five steps because Jesus wrote, uh, Jesus said, hey, when you have conflict, go and talk to them one-on-one. But I know that's not always going to work because we're broken. Sin is broken. We have different agendas. There's different things battling within our hearts. But Jesus isn't focused on how well we do when it comes to resolving conflict. He's actually more concerned with our heart and our position to him. As the band jumps up, as the band jumps up now, I'm just going to finish with this. Jesus, when he was on this earth, said that he was the son of God. At the time, this was incredibly, incredibly uh, controversial. You had this system that was set up with these people who believed that they knew who God was and what God wanted. And when they saw this person walking around proclaiming that he was the Son of God, that he spoke for God, that he was actually one with God, they started to get really worried. Because God was known. God had given us the law. God had given us what we need to do. The Jewish people believed so strongly in the law that when Jesus came along and said, let's try and kick in this new thing, they actually clung to what was old and they said, but God has already declared all of this. We're looking for someone to come and save us, but it's not you. But it's not you. And Jesus comes along and he doesn't go straight to the establishment and tell them why they're wrong. Jesus walks along and he doesn't try and go and correct everybody's thinking. God could have come in in a second and just changed everyone's mind, but instead he sent a child to grow up, to experience life the way that we experience it, and to walk the earth the way that we walk the earth. But he was full of God. 
So as Jesus walked around, he didn't go to the establishment and try and throw it over and try and tell them what they were doing was wrong or, or where to correct them. He came along and he just went to individuals who were broken, individuals who were shattered, individuals who knew how bad they were, people like Matthew, who knew he'd betrayed his country, who knew that he was doing the wrong thing and he knew that he was dishonoring God. And Jesus comes along and looks, at, looks all these guys in the eye and says, come and follow me. Fast forward 2,000 years. Many of us in this room have had an encounter with Jesus where we know that Jesus has come along and said, come and follow me. He didn't come and try and reshape our lives straight away and tell us what we were doing wrong. He didn't come and try and transform us like that. He came and said, follow me and you will be transformed. And day by day, it's just a process of going forwards, going back, but never, ever losing the fact that we are children of God. So what I want to leave you with this morning is I think this tool is really great. All right? It is. It, Jesus said it. All right? I'm just bringing what Jesus says out. But the reality is, is that when Jesus speaks, it's not about learning so that we can do the right thing. It's about being in his presence. So my hope is that as we read through that passage and as you guys read through your scriptures through the week, we're not trying to learn so that we can be good. We're not trying to learn so that we can handle conflict resolution better. We want to be closer to Jesus so that our lives will reflect him more and more. And for some of you this morning, you, you feel that. You know that inside that you feel close to Jesus. That's awesome. That's, that's a blessing. But for some of you, you probably feel a little more distant. Maybe years ago you had an experience where Jesus came and he changed something in your life. He, he enlightened you to um, his revelation to the Holy Spirit. And maybe that's just a distant memory. My prayer for you is that as you read your scripture, that you will actually begin to see Jesus alive and fresh each and every day. Because it's about a relationship. It's not about the rules. It's not about trying to follow and get it right. It's about trusting Jesus. And what's cool, as I said before, the actions will follow but you are first and foremost a child of God. Lord God, I thank you so much that you gave us an example to follow. And not only that, that you gave us a person, someone who we can have a relationship with, Lord. And Sorry, I turned it off. And through that, Lord, um, and through that, Lord, we get to have a relationship with you. When we believe in your son, when we believe that he walked the earth just like we do, when we believe that he died a death that he didn't deserve, and when we believe that he rose again and we confess our sins, we confess that thing that has separated us from you, us from others, us from ourselves. that you bring us into right relationship with God. And it doesn't mean we always get it right, Lord. We're following you the best that we can. We just want to be following you the best that we can, God. So, Lord, for those of us who are feeling dry, I pray that your Holy Spirit will reignite something in our hearts will awaken us to the reality that you are real, that you love us, that you care for us, and that you are doing something in our lives to become more like you. For those of us, Lord, who are close to you, thank you for that. Lord, as you, unveil, uh, as you uh, reveal new things about yourself each and every day, we just love the fact that we can discover more and more about our Heavenly Father and about our Savior Jesus through the power of your Holy Spirit. And for those of us, Lord, who are still figuring it out, who aren't quite sure about what it means to follow Jesus, Lord, I pray that they just take the first step in following you. That they come with whatever they have and they just say, here, take all of it. 
I know I've messed up. I know I've missed the standards. I know that I haven't kept the law that you put in place, but, but I want to follow you. And that's just where it begins. So Lord, be with us as we resolve conflict, but more important, importantly, be with us as we discover more of you, more of who you are. In your name and for your glory, all God's people said, Amen.